What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. The eyes of the world, the eyes of the populations of the world are on you and we have your numbers. That lingering central please remain and we'll see what comes next. We need to make sure that what sits there on a piece of paper is actually going to turn into tangible, actionable projects on the ground that are going to make a difference to people's lives. Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Caroline Hepke. Good afternoon, I'm Ewan Potts. While Boris Johnson's troubles aren't going away and sleepless nights with a new baby are probably preferable to the outcry from his backbenchers. With MPs due to vote on the new coronavirus restrictions next Tuesday, the Times says that 50 Conservative MPs are threatening to reject the measures. And the latest YouGov poll for the Times gives the party the worst poll rating in 11 months, with two-thirds of voters questioning Johnson's integrity. Meanwhile, the BBC reports that Johnson's director of communications handed out awards and gave a speech at a Downing Street party last Christmas. Jack Doyle, who was then deputy director, is the latest senior aide to be dragged into the row over a gathering on the 18th of December. Perhaps the biggest concern, though, the Daily Telegraph reports that Christopher Guite, the independent adviser on ministers' interests, could resign after Johnson was accused of lying to him over the refurbishment of his Downing Street flat. Now, this was supposed to be crime week for Number 10, with the government announcing measures on the criminal justice system, including its 10-year drug strategy and what it calls the biggest prison-building programme in more than 100 years. Meanwhile, the government's controversial police crime, sentencing and courts bill had its third reading in Parliament this week. Well, the prison population currently around 79,500 has dipped during the pandemic. Uh, And in this unusual two years, custodial sentences for serious crimes have plunged. And of course, the backlog in court cases in England and Wales has shot up. Well, in this special programme this Friday, we're going to speak to a number of guests on this topic. Joining us first is Andrew Nielsen, who is Director of Campaigns at the Howard League. Andrew, welcome to the programme. The government's rhetoric is tough on crime. What's wrong with that? Well, I think the public obviously want um, effective crime policies, policies that mean that there is less crime and less victims of crime. Um, but rhetoric alone doesn't deliver that. Um, and I think that's um, really what needs to be scrutinised in terms of whether the announcements made during what they've called Crime Week um, uh, really will be effective in terms of tackling crime. And, of course, a lot of um, that publicity has been rather derailed by what's been going on um, in other parts of um, the government and at Downing Street um, and, and, you know, the the recent headlines about parties, etc. And law-breaking has hardly helped um, the government's efforts to to show that it's tough on law and order. Does prison work? Well, prison can work. I mean, prison um, as a a tool of public protection, um, when we are talking about people who are genuinely dangerous to the public, uh, then clearly it has a role to play. I think part of the problem that we have um, in this country uh, over many, many years now is that um, it is really um, 
used, prison is used in, a, in, a, in an indiscriminate way. There are lots of people in prison who haven't committed serious or violent crimes who may be there with serious mental health issues that are not being dealt with because in the end prisons are not hospitals, they're prisons. Um, and therefore we have a, a large prison population. It has fallen slightly um, due to the pandemic, but it is projected to increase rapidly and uh, by really unprecedented levels. The current projections from the government suggest that in five years' time we will have 98,500 people in prison in England and Wales. That will be an increase of almost a quarter in just a five-year period. We've never seen anything like that in, in, mm. in, the, in, in history. Um, and it will mean that England and Wales is by far the outlier in, in Western Europe in terms of the use of prison. Okay, um, and part of that projection is down to that bill that I mentioned, the Police Crime and Sentencing Bill. So what's your prescription then? Um, if it's not to put more people behind bars, what do you want to see happen if it's more than rhetoric from the government that we want? Well, perhaps it's first worth just saying, why, why is, why is um, having so many people in prison a bad thing? And the, and the reason is that the reoffending rates for people leaving prison are, are high. Um, prison is not effective um, if, if what we are looking at is policies that are, are meant to create less crime, not more crime. Um, of course, as I say, in the most serious cases, then prison is effective in that it inca in incapacitates someone uh, who has committed a serious and violent crime from committing more serious and violent crimes. But for too many people who are going to prison, uh, they are coming out um, and they are reoffending, and often reoffending more seriously and more frequently than they did before they entered prison. Uh, and that is um, pretty um, obvious when you think about what prison is actually like, and particularly during the pandemic, where people have been kept in their cells for 23 hours a day. And you think about why people commit crime. Most people commit crime because they do have problems in their lives. They have drug or alcohol addiction. They have poor mental health. Uh, there are a whole host of reasons uh, why people come before the criminal courts. Um, and those those underlying reasons why they committed crime are not being tackled effectively by just putting them in a prison cell and asking them to lie on a bunk all day. That is not working. And that's why we need to see less people in prison. Um, I suppose the um, the problem that the government has is that it, it did publish a white paper this week outlining um, some quite progressive measures for prisons in terms of uh, dealing with rehabilitation. But all of that will be swamped by the fact that they are looking to build more prisons and have, as I say, 98,500, almost a quarter more people in prison in five years' time than we have today. And, of course, the vast majority of the money they'll be spending is on the buildings um, and the logistics of holding mm. all these people, not on the, the rehabilitation and the programmes that are required. Aside from wanting fewer people in prison, how would you how would you reform the way that prisons work? The government says that it, it, it is planning to reform and rehabilitate offenders. That's what it wants prison to do. How, how does it do that? Well, it's interesting. I mean, this is something that successive governments over many, many years have said they want to do, and, and yet they have struggled to do it, which I do think underlines my point that prison is ultimately has its limits as to its effectiveness. Um, but they are, there are there are some good measures in the, the white paper that, that are explored. And again, they're not particularly new, I have to say. I mean, some of these initiatives 
um, are several years old. They just, they just, uh, we have seen obviously a lot of political turmoil, um, mm. and therefore, uh, particularly at the Ministry of Justice, we've seen a number of secretaries of state for justice over the last five years. So they haven't really got very far with taking these initiatives forward. So to give you an example, one of the things that I think could be a positive move that they're talking about is giving prison governors, the, the, the person in charge of each individual prison, more autonomy, more freedom to to run regimes in a, in a way that they see fit. Now, that potentially could be a good thing in principle, um, but we, we, we really wait to see the detail. Okay. And as I say, with many of these initiatives, um, it's not just the fact that the overshadowing thing is, well, but they're going to be dealing with it you know, almost 25% more prisoners than they are right now. Mm -hmm. uh, but there is also one other question, which is, you know, the, the White Paper talks about prisons as if the pandemic is over, and yet it clearly isn't. Um, uh -huh. And so, really, how much can they actually deliver on their aspirations when, mm -hmm. at the moment, prisons are just looking to survive through the pandemic and limit the spread of the virus in what Andrew. are environments that are very dangerous for uh, infection spread. Andrew, thanks so much for joining us today. Andrew Nielsen, Director of Campaigns at the Howard League. Well, I want to pick up on that prison white paper. Kate Fraser is the Northern Development Manager of Women in Prisons, a national charity. Um, Kate, what do you make of the reforms to prisons that the government has announced? Well, I mean, uh, any reforms are welcome, really, but... Um, it's really a bit of a whitewash, really. We know that prison is a dead end. It really tears families and communities apart and, as Andrew says, actually increases offending. And more importantly, particularly for women, prison doesn't address the root causes of why women are getting swept up uh, into the criminal justice system. Um, and so uh, the government, the white paper comes on top of the female offender strategy uh, in which the, the government actually states that we should be sending less women to custody, but now they are talking about building more prison places for women. So, you know, there is evidence that for women, when women are supported by community services like women's centres, they actually tackle those root causes of crime that see them getting swept up and can reduce reoffending. So for I really think, you know, instead of... Uh, kind of getting swept up in the whitewash of the white paper, this could be a real opportunity for us to replace a system of cruelty with one of care and to really invest in our communities so that those women at the sharpest end of society aren't swept up into crime, but instead given that lifeline to really get the support that they need locally rather than being put into prison in the first place. Why, in your view, is, is prison particularly ineffective or particularly cruel for women? Um, I think, you know, we have a criminal justice system that was designed for men, really. Most women serve very short sentences, um, so six months or less. And um, really, that's not enough time for women to really access any kind of rehabilitative programmes. But it is enough time to lose your home, lose your children, lose your job, lose your self-esteem, all those kind of really damaging impacts that prison has on women, um, but those short sentences don't allow women to really address the issues that brought them into offending in the first place. So, I mean, th that's one of the, the major issues. Like I say, prison is designed uh, by men, for men, and the government knows that we have systems, community systems, community services, like women's centres, that do work. So I would ask, why aren't they following what's in their own female offender strategy instead of investing in these new prison places for women?
Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Well, the government released its white paper on prison strategy this week, amongst other news in what was dubbed Crime Week. Let's get another perspective now from Peter Clark, who is Senior Fellow at the Think Tank Policy Exchange. Um, So prison numbers um, have dipped in terms of the pandemic. They are expected to soar. Is prison really the answer that Britain needs? Well, good morning, Caroline. Um, yes, as you say, we, we, we at the policy exchange are thinking uh, hard about this in the wake of the um, uh, the government's white paper. But I come at it as well from the perspective of somebody who for five years was Her Majesty's Chief Inspector of Prisons. And what we saw uh, time and time again, unfortunately, too, too many times during inspections, was prisons that were simply not fit for purpose in terms of serving the public. And by that, I mean ensuring that prisoners, when they finish their sentences and come back into the community, are less likely to reoffend and less likely to create more victims of crime. I think there's an overwhelming and obvious public interest in, in, in reducing reoffending, and that's what prisons should be focused on. Is this a problem which is, is getting worse? It feels like we've been talking about prisons not doing a very good job f- f- for years and years. Is there any sign of it getting better? Uh, Well, I I have to say, in some ways, yes, but in other ways, no. And the pandemic has, I think, been an enormous setback. Uh, It's a fact now that for well over 18 months, the vast majority of prisoners have been locked in their cells for 23 hours a day. And when that's happening, there's very little opportunity to do all the sorts of things that should help them to rehabilitate, such as education, training, uh, getting themselves fit for employment, contact with family, uh, and so on. And so there's a real challenge now to come out, uh, well, obviously when it's safe to do so, but to come out of this terrible position that prisons have been in for the last 18 mm. months and to try and make them purposeful again. OK. The government talking about upskilling the existing workforce in prisons, employing 5,000 new staff, the biggest building uh, programme for prisons in 100 years. Many of our prisons, as you know better than anyone, are Victorian-era uh, facilities. Um, is that going to help, then, the, the government putting some money towards this at last? Well, yes. So when austerity struck, what, 10, 12 years ago, whenever it was, far too much uh, capital uh, and, and resource, both human and financial, was taken out of prisons. Uh, and they're, they're in the process of trying to recover from that now. And obviously the physical environment um, has a huge impact. If you've got a place that's absolutely filthy and crumbling and not fit for, for, for providing education, employment and training, uh, and in which the living conditions are really terrible, 
that doesn't bring any sense of self-worth or purpose uh, to the prisoners themselves. And so it, it, you know, it acts as a disincentive to, to try to improve things. So, yes, um, putting money into prisons is a vital part of, uh, uh, well, to use the expression that's being used, building back better after the pandemic. How, just how important is the, the, the prisons estate? Is it, does it generally follow that if you have a nice, uh, I say a nice, you know, a, a better new facility, that it will tend to be a better prison and, uh, and, and older prisons tend to be worse prisons? Or, or is it much more complicated than that? It, it is much more complicated for that. And certainly what I saw when inspecting prisons is that um, there are some very old prisons which are actually um, very good and very purposeful prisons. The key... Uh, factor in all of this is leadership, in my opinion. That's what I saw. You, if you have really good leaderships um, from, from the governing level in the prisons who inspire their staff to want to do more than the minimum but to really make things better in prisons, um, then that will have a, a huge impact. Where there's poor leadership, the sort of we, we would often see would be a, um, a, a staff that were just doing the minimum and unfortunately, uh, there was all too often uh, a failure to address the uh, findings of repeated inspections. So we mm. far too often go back and find that uh, our recommendations from previous inspections have simply been ignored. And there's been a huge turnover of justice and prisons ministers um, in recent years. That surely doesn't doesn't help. I mean, the the overall impression is simply that the government. Um, you know, or by your account and by others, it, the rhetoric gets tougher and tougher, but actually the action and the result is worse and worse for, for prisoners and therefore for people who suffer from crime. Well, you're absolutely right about the turnover of uh, political leadership. Uh, in the five years that I was inspecting prisons, um, I've worked with six secretaries of state for justice and five prisons ministers. And, you know, in terms of bringing accountability to the prison service, uh, for delivering better outcomes for prisoners. Uh, clearly, a lack of polit- polit- uh, leader, consistency in political leadership doesn't help one little bit. The, the, the senior officials know that the uh, minister's going to probably be gone within a matter of months. And what about the problem of uh, drugs? Uh, many prisons, it's so uh-huh. easy to, to, to get drugs. Is, is there anything we can do to stop drugs getting into prisons? Uh, yes, there is. Uh, some years ago, uh, I was um, advocating very strongly the uh, introduction of uh, airport-style scanning machinery uh, into prisons so that uh, when uh, people, prisoners and others, secrete drugs internally, they, they, they can be detected. Now, for some reasons that were beyond me, the prison service was very slow to uh, grasp this opportunity, despite some ministerial support when Rory Stewart, for instance, was prisons minister. He was a very keen advocate of it. But the prison service is very slow. There is now some scanning machinery in, and I have to admit to a bit of a wry grin when I see that uh, the prison service is now saying how successful these things are and uh, what a jolly good thing they've introduced them. Um, But there needs to be much more of that. And I'm afraid the the elephant in the room when we talk about drugs in prisons all too often uh, is that of the problem of some staff a small, small number, I'm sure, but some staff, um, for, for whatever reason, introducing drugs themselves into prisons. They may have been threatened, there may be financial inducements, I don't know. Um, but a lot needs to be done to um, prevent staff being part of the problem and not part of the solution. Mm. Uh, there is a concern that uh, younger 
men, women and teenagers are going to be put behind bars in the coming years um, as the forecast for the prison population um, you know, goes up essentially. So 15, 16, 17 year olds, for example, that must be a considerable concern that it's younger people um, that may end up in this situation in prison. Well, it obviously is a concern. Over recent years, the numbers of uh, young people and children, in other words, anyone who's under 18, uh, has dramatically dropped in prisons. Um, uh, and that, of course, is, is, is by and large a welcome thing. The, the problem with that is it is that those who are in custody now in prison, or, or, or in YOIs, the Young Offender Institutions, mm. tend to be those who have already got some considerable criminal history, and they tend to be there for the most serious offences, of generally of violence. Uh, and what needs to be ha- to happen is that before uh, youngsters get to that state, there need to be far more effective interventions in the community and programs and projects to divert uh, children away from, from criminal lifestyle. Um, and that's what needs to happen. At the moment, uh, my pers- perception is that there's not enough being done. And so it's all too easy for children to get drawn into a really negative cycle of criminality and to end up in prison. And by that time, it's very often too late. Uh, our, our last guest earlier in the programme said that women or most women shouldn't be going to prison at all. What's your view of how we treat women in the in the prison system? Uh, well, the women's prisons, uh, from our inspection activity, what we found was that generally they tended to be of a better standard than the men's prisons. However, uh, it, uh, most women are not in prison for crimes of violence. Uh, and so you have to ask the question as to whether actually more could have been done to divert them away from um, custody. Uh, And there is undoubtedly within women's prisons a much bigger problem uh, around self-harm and uh, and suicide than there is in men's prisons, higher rates. And I think that's something that really needs to be looked at incredibly carefully. As as, as with with all people who find themselves in these positions, if anything can be done effectively to divert women away from having to be placed in, in, in in custody in a prison, then that would be a good thing. Um, but, you know, some women's prisons are, I have to say, very good. Uh, some of the ones that uh, I inspected. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there are only a few thousand women in custody, of course, um, in England and Wales versus that close to 80,000 figure f- for men. Um, yeah. I just want to end on a thought around the tough on crime message. I mean, in the pandemic, there has been a concern and there have been some very serious crimes committed. I mean, this appeal, though, to the public, does the message around crime need to catch up with reality and just become a bit more nuanced than just tough on crime and the causes of crime? I, I think, as I alluded to earlier, that, 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 that there is a coherent message which which can encompass both aspects of this. But uh, I was a police officer for over 30 years, and so I spent over 30 years basically trying to gather evidence so that those who deserved it could appear before the courts and, if necessary, be sentenced to imprisonment. But I I, I didn't want people to be sent to prison, then to be treated in such a way that they would be more likely to re-offend when they came out. I think there is an overriding public interest in prisons being purposeful and rehabilitative so that actually the public should be able to feel safer and and, and be sure that uh, when people go to prison, they are going to emerge less likely to 
make them again a victim of crime. And I think that's uh, I think it's blindingly obvious and, and ought to be the whole purpose of uh, criminal justice. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com enterprise data to learn more.